right, everybody. Welcome back to the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host, Dave and Dave. The Phillies swept the Nationals in a four-game series where they won five straight and our season record 12 games above 500 and set a new franchise record for home runs in a series. And they now sit in the second wild card spot above San Diego by one game. And Dave, I'm absolutely ecstatic about the way that this team is playing right now. They seem to have cracked into the formula of being a great ball team. There's a different air about them this year. And what's fascinating about it is that they've been able to beat the bad teams. And that's something that they haven't been able to do in the past and take advantage of those opportunities. And, you know, we'll see that in the, up- in the upcoming three-game set versus the Marlins, of course. But it seems like they've cracked that code. And the good thing is that, um, you know, they split the series with the Braves in their last series. And it seems like they're, they're giving some teams issues, which is obviously a great um, sign, especially for a team that's supposed to win. Um, you get Gene Segura back in game one, and um, you're able to see Marsh get, get his first hit in game one as well. Uh, a lot of things going the right way for the Phillies in sweeping these Nats. Um, anything you want to say before we get into the recap? Well, what you said to start with, you know, having to beat bad teams is exactly the case, and it's exactly something the Phillies have not been able to do the past couple seasons on a consistent basis. Uh, in 2020, when you think about it, the Phillies missed the playoffs by one game. All they needed to do was to beat a bad team like the Washington Nationals in 2020. And I know the Phillies weren't a great team in 2020 record-wise. It was a weird season. But all they had to do was beat a bad team one more time, and they were in the postseason. Uh, and in 2021, although they weren't as close as they were in 2020, of course, though 2021 playing a full 162-game season, the Phillies' biggest series that I think it came down to as being one of the main reasons they missed the playoffs was getting swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks last year. I know the Phillies haven't played the Diamondbacks yet in Arizona, but I just think, as you said, Dave, you have to beat the bad teams. I know the Washington Nationals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, are not the New York Mets. They're not the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, but they're definitely teams that you still have to beat. They're still major league players. They still get paid a major league salary for the most part, of course, except players making the minimum, uh, which still technically is considered a major league salary. Um, so the Phillies had to find a way to beat the Nationals, uh, this weekend, and they did. They've really taken care of the Nationals the past couple seasons, uh, the past two years, which has been nice. Uh, and the Phillies again get another test to play the Marlins starting tonight. Uh, you know, I would normally be worried, uh, because the past, you know, how, how many years have the Marlins absolutely destroyed us? It's been a lot. It's been very many. Um, but the last series that the Phillies played against the Marlins, they played really well and looked like they finally kind of snapped out of it. Uh, so hopefully they'll continue that tonight uh, against the Miami Marlins, and it's at home at CBP, so a good chance that they'll be able to keep the rhythm and keep the momentum they uh, gathered from this weekend. Right, home field advantage is always really important. But Dave, I love the point that you brought up about, you know, even though the bad teams are bad teams, these teams are still comprised of Major League Baseball players. And I, I think that's you know one of the main points here is that the Phillies have been able to put their foot on the gas and have really been able to take off and use these games, uh, you know, to their advantage and be able to obviously um, increase their probability of making it to the playoffs. But it is the point of you need to keep shoving. You need to keep pushing. And they did just that versus these bad teams. You can't just bat an eye and look away at these bad teams. You have to run them down. 
And that's what the Phillies did in this one. So I guess that leads us into the recap for the series, uh, starting with game one, where Noah Syndergaard uh, went up against Paulo Espino for the Nationals. And Noah Syndergaard, this was his first start as a Philadelphia Philly. Welcome to Philadelphia, Noah Syndergaard. And uh, let's get this show on the road. And uh, before we get into anything, this was also Gene Segura's first game back since May 31st against San Fran. Um, but in this one, he would unfortunately go 0 for 2 with a strikeout. Nevertheless, the Phillies got the scoring going early in the bottom of the first with a solo shot by Reese Hoskins, his 21st on the season, and Alec Bohm, his 8th on the season, which would give the Phillies just enough offense to stave off the Nationals in the game. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Also had an uncomfortable first start, to say the least, as he allowed four earned runs and 11 hits through five innings pitched. And, uh, well, on the bright side, Brandon Marsh got his first hit as a Philly. Uh, the critical point of the game, uh, in my opinion, had to be right before the rain delay. Uh, Noah Syndergaard on the mound and a 2-2 slider to right fielder Josh Palacios of the Nationals with runners on second and third who flied out to Nicholas Castellanos, and the runner tagged up and went home only to be met by a perfect throw by Nick and a swift tag by JT Romuto. We all know that Nicholas Castellanos is not known for the defense. He's known to be really an all-offensive player, but made a spectacular play to catch and throw the ball and to be able to throw right on the money which Nick did and turned out to be a really good thing and a pivotal moment for the Phillies because it stopped the Nats from tying up the game. And uh, well, after the top of the fifth, the rain ended the game early. So that kept the Phillies on top with a final score of five to four. And so Noah Syndergaard ended up getting the win going six and eight with a 4.02 ERA and Paulo Espino taking the loss 0 and four with a 4.2 ERA. Uh, the Nationals sitting at a lowly 36 and 71, and the Phillies increasing to 57 and 48. Reese Hoskins, great game uh, with the home run, two RBIs, and two runs scored. And Alec Bohm uh, also, uh, you know, still rolling, going one for two with his home run and uh, three RBIs and a run scored. Uh, Luke Voigt also had a pretty good game, uh, getting his first hit as a National. And uh, went two for three with an RBI and a run scored. So uh, just, you know, it, it was a tight game, uh, especially towards the end when Washington started to get the bats going. But the weather ended up helping the Phils uh, more than hurting them in this one. And uh, I guess that's what counts, Dave. Uh, what, what do you take from this one? Uh, and, and just overall, uh, what, what do you think by the start or, or of the start by Noah Syndergaard? Well, the weather definitely helped uh, because it seemed like the momentum was starting to shift the other way towards the Nationals. So the weather really ended that. And I guess you could technically say Nick Castellanos' throw uh, ended that. Uh, it was a great throw by him. Great to see him uh, play better defensively. I know there was a play in that game where he kind of pulled up on a ball that dropped in front of him for a single that I thought he could have caught. Um, but it was good to see his arm uh, strength be really good in this one and throw out the runner trying to score from third, which I believe was Yadiel Hernandez. Um, in terms of Noah Syndergaard's start, um, you know, I, I've talked about it before. I've obviously talked to you, Dave, about it. Uh, there were better trade deadline pickups that could have been made by the Phillies. Uh, Tyler Maley, Jose Quintana, 
Uh, Carlos Rodon was apparently being somewhat shocked by the Giants, even though, as I said in our trade deadline episode, I don't think that was serious. I think they were just trying to see if they could get a Micabell or if they could get a Andrew Painter from the Phillies, which obviously was never going to happen. Um, but the Phillies got Cindergard. I guess it's better than, you know, Bailey Falter starting every fifth day. Um, you know, I, I, I do have to see more, obviously. I've talked about his peripheral Cindergard on Baseball Savant. They're not very good. Um, his expected ERA should be higher than his actual earn run average, which I believe now is in the low fours after the start. He did give up 11 hits, which is rough. But there's the other side of the story, too. That says that, you know, Cindergard and Marsh, although they didn't come together, they were not in the same trade. Uh, they both came from California. Uh, and Cindergard didn't even have a game to uh, talk with JT Ramuto, you know, in the dugout. Didn't even have a game really to get to know Rob Thompson. Uh, and it was interesting because in the press conference on Thursday night, Rob Thompson on NBC, on NBC Sports Philadelphia, Rob Thompson was basically saying that, you know, the first time he saw Noah Cindergard was a few hours before he made the start on Thursday, uh, when he walked into the Phillies clubhouse, and he didn't even have a conversation with him because he said that Syndergaard was kind of, you know, in his game focus mode, if you will, his game mode. Um, so, uh, you know, just that goes to show you that there was basically no preparation heading into this game. And I know it was the Nationals offense. They're not very good. I understand that, especially with that Juan Soto and Josh Bell. But I think there is something to be said that Syndergaard really didn't get a chance to game plan at all, really, with the Phillies. Um, except for, I'm sure, in the bullpen a little bit and the walk to the bullpen from the dugout and the walk to the, uh, the bullpen to the dugout when JT and Syndergaard got to talk a little bit. Uh, and something else, too, is that, you know, there could have been some jet lag in there, obviously. Syndergaard, I think, arrived on uh, Wednesday night, I think. So, you know, you really never know what could have went on there. I've never flown from, you know, Philadelphia to California, so I really can't tell you, you know, what that does to you. Um but, you know, I'm sure that there could have been some effects there. So I'm not trying to make excuses, uh, but I definitely think the next start will be better for Syndergaard. How much better? I'm not sure, but I think it will definitely be better. Um, and as you said, uh, Dave, what am I saying? As you said, Dave, uh, the offense uh, was very good in this one. Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohm continued uh, their hot streaks. Uh, they got to Espino early, which I think was important to do. Uh, and the Phillies were able to hold off uh, at least until the rain came, and it was an official game through four and a half innings. So the Phillies will take it. Uh, and I just thought it was a good start to the series, uh, especially after having a decent series in Atlanta. Right. And another thing that I wanted to add um, to your jet lag comment is, you know, when, when people go to travel, especially when they get acclimated to that um, – to, you know, the, the Western times in the United States, when you go to travel back east, especially, you know, uh, just back to the East Coast, you know, no matter where it is, um, the, you know, there's always jet lag there. You know, you're not able to get to sleep until uh, really late and then you end up waking waking up late and then you're all disoriented. So uh, I, I can imagine that that, um, you know, can be the case for a lot of these players who get traded. And so in my opinion, sometimes that could be the toughest uh, thing with acclimation, you know, so um, definitely don't want to pour all the responsibility on Noah for this one. Obviously need to see more from him and we will as he gets more comfortable in a Phillies uniform and as he gets to talk to more of the players, get to know some of these guys and create the chemistry. So I think that'll go a long way and uh, hopefully he has uh, a really good feel for his pitches next time out. I thought they had good movement tonight. Um, it was just a matter of, I think, maybe JT uh, needs to get to 
get to know his repertoire a little bit better so that uh, they can maintain a better, more solid strategy going into future starts for Noah. But anyway, uh, it seems to bring us on to game number two of the four-game series where Kyle Gibson, the veteran sinker baller for the Phillies, went up against um, a younger guy in Josiah Gray, who's been on and off for the Nationals this year and, uh, well, wasn't exactly on in this one as the Phillies ended up putting a pounding on and uh, the Nationals being met with the tough task of beating the Phillies were met with even more complications as Reese Hoskins, Nicholas Castellanos, and Derek Hall all hit home runs in the first inning. And that was Hoskins with his 22nd, Castellanos with his 10th, and Derek Hall with his 6th home run on the season. And then in the bottom of the third, uh, JT got in on the homer happy party and hit a two-run shot way up in the stratosphere to add some insurance. And really, nobody saw it on the screen uh, if you were watching TV until right before it came down. And uh, it looked like it was going to be caught, but I guess because it was so high, um, it just it didn't want to come down and ended up going into the seats. So uh, kudos to JT for getting it out there. And that was his 11th on the season. But uh, going to the top of the sixth with a 2-1 count and two outs for Vargas of the Nationals, he hits one the opposite way, but was faced with a terrific sliding stop by Alec Bohm for the third out of the inning. I wanted to bring that up because Alec Bohm, we've always... Uh, talked about him being a defensive liability, has really shored up his defense this year and has been, you know, flying beyond expectations for us Phillies fans. Uh, obviously, we talk about his throws also being a problem, but he's he's really gathered himself and has been tremendous. But um, nevertheless, we go to the top of the seventh. Perfect game still intact for Kyle Gibson. And he threw a 92-mile-per-hour sinker that ended up plunking Victor Robles in the left arm. And then a batter later, Luis Garcia singled down the left field line to end the no-hitter. But overall, it was an all-around tremendous effort by Kyle Gibson, ending his night after eight innings, two hits, an earned run, a walk, and four strikeouts. So tremendous, um, tremendous outing still for Kyle Gibson. And then in the bottom of the seventh, we had Kyle Schwarber, who hit a Schwarbomb deep to center field into the bullpen, obviously adding more insurance, and that would be the extent of the damage done in the game. That would be Schwarber's 34th of the season. And so the Phillies would go on to win this one with a final score of 7-2. to two. Kyle Gibson with the win at 7-4 and four with a 4.36 ERA, and then Josiah Gray 7-8 and eight with a 4.92. The Nationals at 36 wins. The Phillies at 58 and 48 on the season. Obviously, uh, Gibson pitched pretty well. You know, you could talk about the Washington lineup and how there's a lack of offense there as it is. So, of course, Gibson was able to go out and have a solid start. But to be able to go eight innings for your ball club and uh, save the bullpen in a four-game series is really important. And Gibson did a good job with that. Uh, had his pitches working. Uh, JT had a really good game with a home run, a triple, two RBIs, two runs scored. He went three for four. And then Reese Hoskins, uh, his second game in a row uh, with a home run, two walks, an RBI, and two runs scored. So uh, the Phillies offense really working in this one and starting pitching, doing its job. This is what you have to do versus the Nationals. And, uh, well, the Phillies got it done, Dave. Uh, what's your opinion on the pitching? And, uh, well, the bats went off. What's your take? 
I, I you always have to score early uh, against against any team. It's you know so important to get you know the head start to get, to get the jump, and you hear so many coaches and managers talk about it. Uh, and the Phillies did just that in this game once again, uh, similar to Thursday night's game. Uh, they scored four runs uh, in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, Reese Hoskins with the big home run, as you said, Dave JT with a huge night as well. It's good to see him get that batting average back above 260. Uh, he had a three for four night with two RBIs. Uh, as well, as you said, the home run that was hit a million feet in the air, uh, but it just had enough to get over the left field fence. Schwarber, of course, had the big home run to deep center field in the bullpen. Uh, so that was good to see. Derek Hall had that line drive homer as well. His batting average was a 273 at the end of this one. Uh, but the big story definitely was Kyle Gibson and how good he was on Friday night. And, you know, this was his first start coming off of the bereavement list. Uh, and uh, I believe there was a report out there, I think by Jim Salisbury, uh, saying that he was on the bereavement list. He lost his grandmother. So I think that uh, this start uh, meant a lot more to him. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, he did a good job. Uh, so it was great to see Gibson uh, succeed uh, and pitched really well against the Nationals. As you said, Dave, the Nationals lineup is nothing special. Obviously, we talk about it a lot. Um, but, you know, they're still a major league team. I'll say it over and over again. Um, and the Phillies had to find a way to beat them, and Kyle Gibson shut them down for eight innings. Uh, and it was um, very nice to see. Brad Hand uh, did the job in the ninth and was able to uh, close it out for the Phillies. Uh, Brad Hand has been pretty good this year, so it was nice to see that as well. And I just think this was... Uh, I, there was really never any stressful moments in this game. The Phillies got to Josiah Gray early. Kyle Gibson was... Uh, really working a sinker well, uh, which was nice to see. And once he was locating a sinker and not walking anybody, you pretty much felt the game was over once you got into, you know, the second inning, really, after the Phillies put up a huge four spot in the bottom of the first. So uh, it was a very stressless game, in my opinion, for the Phillies. They did pretty much everything right. Defense was great. As you said, Dave, the Alec Bone play was huge to keep the perfect game intact. It sucks that Gibson lost it on a hit by pitch. Uh, you never want to see that. The Nationals got a couple hit by pitches in this series, which I really thought that they could have tried to move out of the way more, uh, more of an effort. I know that there was a rule on that a little bit ago in major league guidelines where, you know, you're supposed to make an attempt to get out of the way of the pitch, uh, but it didn't seem like the Nationals were doing that. Maybe that rule isn't as much enforced anymore as it was in the past. I know that Max Scherzer had that uh, perfect game messed up too a few years ago when, uh, was it Jose Tabata, Dave? On the Pirates, do you remember that? Broke up the um, no-hitter with kind of leaning his elbow into it? It, it might Was have it been. I, I can't exactly recall because I didn't see too much of the Scherzer okay. game. Okay, okay. I, thought, yeah, I think I it was Tabata, to though, That's my bad. No, no, I was just seeing if you remembered it or not. It was, it was probably 2015, so it was a good amount of time ago. Uh, but overall, it was, it was just a, another good game, and it was stress-free, as I keep on saying, uh, and that's great, because you don't get too many Phillies games that are all that stress-free. Uh, so it was good to see that Kyle Gibson and the offense, uh, you know, fired on all cylinders in this game, too, against the Nationals. Right. And the other thing, too, is we talk about some of the some of the big pieces in the lineup that haven't been producing are starting to produce. You know, one of those guys being JT Romuto, who we've been waiting. We've been waiting this whole season for him to get going. And he's finally on fire uh, in his last seven games uh, with three home runs, eight RBIs. He has a 400 batting average a 444 on base and a 960 slugging. So he's absolutely on fire right now. Uh, this is a guy who had to get going in the lineup and it's really going now. 
Uh, and it's good to see, especially for the Phillies being able to, you know, sweep the Nationals. And you could say, you know, oh, well, you know, the Phillies haven't exactly been versing, you know, the greatest teams lately. And, you know, we could go back and look at the Pirates series and we could look at this Nat series and we could look at, game, you know, games like that. But in the long haul, these are still major league pitchers like Dave and I stress. These are major league ball players that these guys are going up against. And to be able to, you know, put the bat on the ball, drive it a long way and take advantage takes, you know, good players to do it. And JT is proving that he is a good player, um, you know, with his latest hot streak. So um, it, it's it's good to see for the Phillies. It's good to see the offense working on uh, all cylinders and even the young guys uh, starting to get it done as well. Uh, but that leads me into Game 3, which was a battle of the Southpaws in Ranger Suarez and Patrick Corbin. Well, you could call it a battle, but, um, well, it was a lopsided one. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Anyway, <clears throat> the Phillies once again came out swinging the bats early with Reese Hoskins and Matt Veerling both going deep in the first inning off of Patty Corbs. And nevertheless, after the top of the first, which was capped off by Veerling's flash of the leather in center field robbing Victor Robles of a single on a diving catch. Uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, that was his 23rd on the season and Veerling's fourth home run on the season. Uh, later in the inning with runners on first and second with two outs, your new everyday shortstop Bryson Stott laces a four-seamer into the left center field gap for his first ever triple of his career. And in the second inning, JT did the same with the ball, just missing the seats in the right field corner, scoring another run on a triple. So triples just happening all over the place for the Phillies. And uh, by the end of that second inning, the Phillies were up eight zip. So all Phillies offense. And Ramuto ended up striking again in the bottom of the sixth with no outs and a runner on first with a two-run shot into the bullpen off of Carl Edwards Jr., for his 12th of the season, and JT went up to get it. It was a fastball up out of the zone, and JT was able to put the bat on it and drive it a long way, which is, you know, something we're talking about. JT's been able to stay hot, and if he's hitting pitches all over, that's how you know a hitter's hot. You know, he, he can <clears throat> take a ball that's up, and he could drive it a long way, and he could get down and get a ball, something in, something out, and, and JT's done a tremendous job at that especially, um, you know, being able to get on the high fastball. A lot of guys can struggle with it, but JT's on it right now. So uh, it's, it's really good to see. And, um, well, at the end of it, uh, the Phillies had a final score of 11-5 over the Nationals. Uh, the Nationals sitting at 36-73 after this one. And the Phillies at 59-48, 11 games over 500. Uh, Ranger Suarez getting the win in this one, going 8-5 with a 3.68. And Patty Corbs, Patrick Corbin, uh, four and sixteen with a seven point zero two ERA. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, like we said, JT great game, two for five with a home run, a triple, three RBIs, two runs scored. Uh, Luke Voigt, uh, doing you know pretty solid as a National in this series. He was two for four in this one with a home run the other way, uh, a hit by pitch, an RBI, and a run scored. And then uh, Matt Beerling getting in on the action early with his home run. Uh, a walk, three RBIs, and a run scored. But uh, the big thing is in this one, uh, the Phillies won game three just like one and two, and that makes it a series victory. And then they have to go out there for game four and, <clears throat> you know, try and sweep them and take advantage. But Dave, uh, before we get into that, um, what's your opinion on game three? Um, 
it was a good game overall. Washington scored a few runs late, but uh, overall, this this offense continues to churn and uh, is putting up runs early. I am so thankful that the Phillies did not sign Patrick Corbin. So thankful. I wake up each morning and at the top of my list is being so thankful that Patrick Corbin is not, not a Philly. But, you know, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I know that he, uh, you know, helped them tremendously in 2019 to get to the World Series. But, yeah, I mean, either something is wrong with his arm or he has just forgotten how to pitch. Uh, I mean, that, that and that's how bad it is. And, and um, you know, of course, I mean this with, with all respect, obviously, but, you know, talking from a, from a baseball standpoint, I mean, to look at how much Patrick Corbin has regressed is, is completely unbelievable to me. Um, and it's, it's kind of just, there isn't really anything to explain it. He has 16 losses. It's August 9th. He has 16 losses and a seven earn run average. He's pitched. This is not somebody somebody who's pitched in two games and and has a seven ERA. This is somebody who's pitched in over twenty games who has an earn run average of seven point zero two. He didn't even make it out of the first inning. He only got two outs. He threw forty three pitches. Um, but you have to give the Phillies offense credit because uh, you know the Phillies have struggled against pitchers that have struggled in the past. Um, so it's nice to see them again coming out firing. And that's the big thing. When you get a lead in the first inning against a team like the Nationals, of course, you have to keep your foot on the pedal. But I, I mean, I, you just feel like the game is over because the Nationals just don't, they're not, uh, they don't have a good offense at all, really, uh, especially with that Juan Soto and Josh Bell and their pitching staff. Their bullpen has been better. I'll give them credit. Their bullpen is not as bad as it was in the beginning of the season and last year. But their bullpen still is nothing great, and their starting pitching really doesn't have anything to offer, really, except Josiah Gray. And the Phillies got to him last night, uh, not la- not last night when we're recording this, but I mean, you know, uh, Friday night's game. Uh, but, you know, it was a good game by a lot of the Phillies hitters, uh, you know, Reese Hoskins. Everybody had a hit in the lineup uh, that got in at bat, except for, uh, uh, let me see here, uh, Br- uh, Marsh, Brandon Marsh, and Kyle Schwarber. Those only two guys who didn't get a hit. And Brandon Marsh only had one at bat. So, you know, how much do you count that? Um, Schwarber did get on base, though. He walked. Uh, Hoskins had a hit. Of course, the big home run to Homer in three straight. Alec Bohm uh, also had a hit, uh, which was nice to see. Jay Tramuto, as you continue to talk about, Dave, he was huge in this game. Uh, another two-hit night for him with three RBIs. And he's just getting on base, extra base hits, triples, homers. It's fantastic to see. Uh, and also, too, Gene Segura with three hits. And I know that I haven't talked about Gene Segura yet, but I wanted to talk about him in this game, really, because he was fantastic. It was good to see him get a three-for-four day. But you know, his pickup, he, it's like a trade deadline pickup because the Phillies haven't had him since May. Um, so Gene Segura coming back is great for this team. It's great for this offense. It's great for their confidence. Um, you know, it's definitely important, uh, to, to get him at bats, to get him, you know, I'm sure his timing is not where it needs to be or where it would be, you know, if he didn't get injured. Uh, but something too that I thought was very key that was brought up the other day, I believe on the NBC Sports Philadelphia broadcast, was that, uh, or maybe, you know, it might have, it might have even been on Apple TV, because I did watch the Apple TV game on Friday night. Um, but it may have been Hunter Pence, I, I forget who said it, but, uh, you know, how important it is that Gene Segura and Bryce Harper are going to come back, right? But the Phillies are in a, are in a position right now, and I know that Gene Segura is technically already back, that the Phillies can let Bryce Harper, and obviously I know they don't have a big enough 
playoff lead. I get that. They're only, you know, a game in front of the Padres for the second wild card, and they're still only a couple games of, you know, not being in a playoff spot if they lost a couple straight and the Brewers got hot or whatever. I understand that. But you're in a position where there's really no reason to rush Bryce Harper back as of right now. You know, you want him to heal, obviously, and get to 100%, but you want him to get 100% mentally, right, with his timing, with his hands, with his, you know, of course, running, fielding. I know they said that he's resuming a throwing program, so you don't want to completely rush him back. The Phillies have played well enough without him to where, as of right now, on August 9th, you don't have to completely rush him back, obviously. And that just means so much because at this point in the season, right, with all the other guys that have played a full season, you know, they're starting to feel that fatigue, right? You know, it's been hot recently. I'm sure they're starting to feel that mid-season, you know, kind of fatigue. The All-Star break obviously helped with that, you know, help kind of rejuvenate them, if you will. But, uh, you know, the key is that Gene Segura and Bryce Harper have really only played Gene Segura for two months, Bryce Harper for three months. So they have not played in a couple months. So when they come back, and Segura is back, of course, but when Bryce Harper comes back, whether that's in, in September or whatever, they are so much more fresh and ready to go, especially Bryce Harper, to where when it gets to October, he's, he's it's going to feel like he's in July or August, right? To where it's not, you know, actually October and, you know, if the Phillies make the playoffs or, you know, in the last couple games of the season that could dictate and the Phillies get to the playoffs. Bryce Harper is fresh and ready to go. So that, I thought that was an excellent point, which I believe was brought up on the Apple TV podcast when they did an interview with Bryce Harper. Um, so, you know, that just goes to show you that, you know, the Phillies are in a good spot. It's good to get Gene back. It's good to get Harper back soon. Um, but, you know, uh, this, I know I'm kind of going on a rant here, but this third game was was great, 11-5. to five. The Nationals did have uh, an inning where they went off their offense in the top of the sixth. Uh, Ranger Suarez uh, didn't get much help from Nick, Nick Nelson. Um, but, you know, overall, it was another good game by the Phillies. As you said, Dave, they won the series and uh, went for the sweep, which they did get uh, on, uh, no spoilers, uh, on Sunday afternoon. Right, and Dave... <clears throat> the one thing that um, that you said that was super important to me was the fact that the Phillies keep winning even without Bryce Harper. And, you know, you can count Gene Segura in that too. And the big thing that I think of when I think of situations like that, especially in the second half of the season, is that, you know, like you said, when these players come back, they're going to come back fresh. And also the thing that Dave Dombrowski addressed at the trade deadline was depth, you know, bringing in Edmundo Sosa and bringing in Brandon Marsh. So, you know, you're <clears throat> you're adding versatility, you're adding different player profiles, you're adding depth. And these are all of the things that get considered and more when these competitive teams go out to make moves. Uh, Dave Dombrowski's done it in the past um, and he's been really good at the trade deadline. So um, it's, it's great to see. It's good that the Phillies finally have a little bit more depth in a ton of different areas, and it is going to help them a ton. And I think because of um, Harper and Segura, you know, coming back, uh, it's it's to a point where the Phillies are in a really good situation right now. We know the type of player Harper can be when he comes back, but when he comes back and if he's fresh and feeling great and uh, putting up good numbers, then there's no debate that the Phillies are a playoff team. I mean, even right now, the Phillies look like a playoff team. So just imagine what the Phillies will look like when Harper's back, you know, and the Phillies get that much more dangerous, especially if you still have 
<clears throat> when you have Gene Segura putting up the numbers that he can, and if JT's still putting up really good numbers, nobody's saying JT needs to be, you know, the hottest player on the planet, which he he's playing like right now. But as long as you can have those guys producing at, you know, the their expected levels, then I think, you know, you're in a really good spot and the Phillies look scary uh, going into the playoffs in that respect. But uh, that brings us to game four in the series where Aaron Nola went on to face Corey Abbott to start off, um, you know, Aaron Nola seeing him on the mound. It looks like a lopsided game and that was indeed the case. And uh, the Phillies ended up winning that one 13-1, which, you know, wh- whether you consider that a spoiler or not, we'll get into all the deets right here. And, uh, well, th- it's it was another game where the Nationals got overpowered by the Phillies. And Derek Hall uh, ended up starting the scoring with a solo shot in the bottom of the second off of a Corey Abbott fastball. And uh, that was Derek's seventh of the season. And uh, after getting plunked his first time around, Nick Maton turned on a fastball, sending it deep into the right field seats for a two-run home run, his second of the season. Gotta love some Nick uh, Maton. So glad that he's up on, uh, you know, on the big league level doing it right now with the Phils. And in the bottom of the fourth, red-hot Reese Hoskins joined in with a two-run blast of his own, adding insurance and extending his home run streak to four consecutive games, and he now has 24 home runs on the season. And Derek Hall wasn't going to let that cap off the offensive onslaught because later in the inning, he hit a long home run deep into the right field seats, just missing the second deck, and that was his eighth of the season and uh top of the fifth lane thomas hit a knuckle curve from Nola on the ground up the third baseline corralled by bohm and with a beautiful throw from foul territory gunned him out at first just amazing by alec bohm just it, he's been he's been tremendous in this series and uh, the glove's been great the bat's been good so uh bohm really coming uh to really pass a lot of people's expectations, especially, um, you know, looking at him from last year to this year, just been great. And uh, the pitching did a good job behind Nola to remind the Nationals how bad they are with the only earned run coming against Aaron Nola. So uh, pitching pretty good in this one. Um, You know, some people debate that uh, Aaron Aaron Nola's stuff didn't look uh, quite as sharp uh, in this one. And so honestly, I mean, when I look at it, I, you know, six innings pitched, five strikeouts, two walks, and a run, and five hits. I mean, that doesn't tell the story, obviously. You want to be able to see um, how Nola does and the way that his pitches move and everything. But overall, I mean, it's the Nationals. He, he's able to get away with um, just one earned run. And with the Phillies putting up 13, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect anything. So uh, in that regard... Uh, the Phillies had a great game, uh, 13-1 win. Obviously, it helps the run differential, uh, but that you know those things are tangentials and doesn't really help anybody to win a division. But nevertheless, it shows that the Phillies have the offense going, and they had it going in Game 4 just like they did the rest of the series, and it's, it's just been beautiful to see. Um, and, you know, that's just where the Phillies are at with, um, with these ball teams that don't really match up to them, and... Uh, you know, that's what a good team does is they win ball games like Dave and I have repeatedly said against the the bad teams in their respective divisions. And so <clears throat> the Phillies, like I said, ended up coming out of this one, uh, winning 13 to one. 
Uh, Nola ended up getting the win. He's 8-8 eight eight with a 3.17 ERA. And Corey Abbott, 0-1 with a 5.68 ERA. Before that game, uh, I believe Abbott had a 1 ERA. So, uh, yeah, bump that up a little bit. And the Nationals... Uh, giving them their 74th loss on the season. The Phillies at 12 games above 560 uh, and 48. Yes, their 60th win on the season. And um, <clears throat> like we mentioned, uh, just just great ball game by the Phillies, Dave. Uh, what is your take on the game? Uh, what do you think of Nola's start and uh, the bullpen behind him shutting the Nationals down in this last game? And uh, well, th- this this feels like one of those last uh, those last uppercuts for the Phillies against the Nationals, uh, really putting them away in this fourth game. I love playing the Nationals. It's fantastic. Uh, Four-game sweep against anybody is an accomplishment as far as I'm concerned. Um, And, you know, like I said, and I'm going to keep on saying, the theme is they are still Major League Baseball players. Uh, And, you know, it is imperative for the Phillies to beat the bad teams. Uh, And they did just that. The Nationals never had a chance in the series. They especially never had a chance on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, as you said, Dave, Aaron Nola wasn't the best. Uh, you know, I know his line says maybe otherwise. He only gave up an earned run. Um, his control wasn't as good as it probably could have been. Uh, but something you have to keep in mind pretty much throughout this whole entire series, especially Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, is there were so many long innings that the Phillies had offensively. And there were times where the starting pitchers were waiting in the dugout. Ranger Suarez, uh, Aaron Nola. Uh, why am I blanking on the other pitcher we just talked about? Uh, Kyle Gibson. There we go. I uh, don't know why I forget Kyle's name. Even though uh, but Gibson, Kyle Ranger, I was going to say, even though Gibson was able to go eight innings, but you know, Gibson's been in situations a ton before, and Gibson's thirty-four years old. You know, he knows yeah, the true. game, so yeah. that's the way I look at that. Yeah. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, I mean, but I just think that any time a pitcher has to wait, you know, thirty minutes, twenty-five minutes. Uh, and I know that they can throw underneath in the batting cage, or I'm sure they have pitchers mound somewhere down there. Uh, you know, it's not the same as pitching in a game. Uh, and, you know, you obviously don't really know how many pitches to throw if you do go throw underneath, uh, you know, in the um, in the facilities down there underneath the, the dugout. Uh, just because, you know, you don't want to get your arm too worked up and you don't know when the inning is really ever going to end. Uh, so that's why it's really tough to kind of manage that. And I think especially, uh, you know, for a guy like Ranger Suarez, who's still, you know, somewhat younger, of course, in the league. Um, so I just, I don't take too much look at, you know, starting pitcher performances this weekend, uh, just because of the fact that, you know, uh, Syndergaard had the jet lag. He didn't really know the game plan, obviously. Uh, Gibson was great. And, you know, so was Ranger Suarez and so was Aaron Nola. But, you know, I want to take a look at their control too much in depth, just because of the fact that it is the Nationals and there were so many long innings that they had to wait in the dugout. Uh, but, you know, Reese Hoskins is coming through again, and he can carry you, he can carry a team, you know, for a long time, for, you know, a good two-week period when he gets hot. Uh, so it's good to see him homering in four straight games. Uh, and the younger guys, again, contributing. Derek Hall, two for four with two RBIs. Bryson Stott, two for five with three RBIs. Had a big triple in this game. Brandon Marsh, two for four. Nick Maton, three for four with four RBIs. And the Phillies recalled Nick Maton. They sent Yairo Munoz down to AAA. Um, so Nick Maton gets another chance here at the big leagues and he really proved that he, you know, he wants to start and get a good amount of playing time. So the younger guys again coming through, um, and it's great to see, you know, the past couple seasons, the Phillies have not had great contributions from 
the younger guys, the homegrown talent. But when you look at it now, I mean, you know, Alec Bohm is homegrown, Reese Hoskins homegrown, Nick Maton homegrown, Bryson Stott homegrown. Uh, so pretty much your future infield. I know the Phillies would like to get a big free agent this offseason to possibly play shortstop. You know, oh, Trey Turner, please. <laughs> most likely coming off the books. Yes, Trey Turner, absolutely. Hopefully will be the case. Um, but, you know, a lot of homegrown talent. And I think that that's a really important thing. And, and who knows? You know, we don't really know what Nick Maton's plans really are, you know, for the future of this team. You know, you don't really know what the team is going to do with him. The rest of the season could be a showcase to, to where they could possibly use him in a trade if they do get a Trey Turner or Dansby Swanson, who, you know, is most likely also going to become a free agent at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to think about, but uh, another great game by the younger players and by Reese Hoskins uh, to continue his hot streak home ring in four straight. And Aaron Ola was not perfect, but he was pretty good. And, you know, he was as good as he really needed to be when the Phillies offense put up 13 runs. And you know what? That's the thing that matters is, you know, you don't need to be the best pitcher in the world when you're going up against the Nationals. That's not to say that they won't try to take advantage of mistakes. But, you know, when you have the Phillies putting up 13 runs, it doesn't doesn't really make too much of a difference whether you're, you know, totally on that day or whether there are some things that you have to tinker with to try and work through some things. And Aaron Nola had to do that in this one, and the Nationals only come away with one run. And um, really the thing uh, that, you know, you you could look at this as comedy because I look at this as comedy, but the Phillies ended up outscoring the Nationals 36-12 to in the series. So, yeah, they scored three times the amount of runs that the Nationals did, and it just goes to show um, the you know the disparity the you know the difference between you know good teams you know e- even though the Phillies you know some people consider them a fringe playoff team but I think you know they're they're a playoff team they profile as a legitimate playoff contender versus a team that is just terrible so uh, you know we see that difference in the run score we see the difference in the pitching and just the the quality of talent at the major league level right now and you know, the, that's where the Phillies are at. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, that pretty much concludes our national series, unless uh, you have anything else to say, Dave. Just great series, uh, great sweep, and uh, the Phillies getting closer to the Braves. They obviously were able to leap the Padres. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the wildcard standings and I guess the division standings technically too uh, over the next two months of the regular season. Right, and to, and to be um, – you know, somewhat optimistic and uh, excited about uh, the next, well, really two-ish months, month and a half, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, might seem like jinxing the Phillies a little bit just because we know uh, what September usually does to them. But uh, the Phillies have depth this year. The Phillies uh, signed guys like Kyle Schuber and uh, Nicholas Castellanos to keep this team in contention and to put up runs. So, uh, that's what we're going to hope for the Phillies. We're going to cross our fingers and uh, we're, we're just going to have to have faith in our guys. You know, we got to keep the Philly faith. But anyway, uh, the next series for the Phillies will be against the Miami Marlins like Dave touched on. Uh, they will start the first game of a three-game set tonight at 7.05 Eastern Standard Time. And that will be at the bank. So the bank better be bumping. Uh, it should be a good series. The Phillies um, hopefully are able to at least take two out of three, especially versus Miami, which I believe are... 10 games um, below 500 at 49 and 59. Sorry, just had to check myself really quick. Um, and in game one, <clears throat> it'll be Braxton Garrett, who's 2-5, and five, a 3.88 ERA and 66 strikeouts, a lefty against Zach Wheeler, 
uh, who's been tremendous for the Phils, 10 and 5 on the season, a 2.69 ERA and 129 strikeouts on the season. So that'll be game one. And then game two, uh, it'll be Sandy Alcantar, one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball, 10 and 4 with a 1.88 ERA and 141 strikeouts against uh, Noah Syndergaard, who struggled his last time out at 6 and 8, a 4.02 ERA and 66 strikeouts. So it'll be interesting to see how Syndergaard bounces back from his last start versus the Nationals. <laughs> And then in game three, we have Edward Cabrera, who's 2-1 with a 2.61 ERA and 23 punchies. He's a young righty, a uh, fireballer for the Miami Marlins. Uh, typical profile for the Marlins, of course. Against uh, veteran sicker baller Kyle Gibson, who was really good his last time out, like Dave and I touched on. Eight innings pitched, one earned run allowed. Uh, just really good for the Phillies. He's 7-4 on the season, a 4.36 ERA and 88 strikeouts. So that'll be your three-game set, Phillies-Miami. And uh, Dave, what are your predictions? So uh, for this series, I'm going to say the Phillies take two of three against the Miami Marlins, which I would be happy with, definitely happy with, especially facing uh, Alcantara. Uh, and my player predictions individual wise, uh, for the Phillies, I'm going to take JT Ramuto against his former team. Uh, and for the Marlins, I'm going to take Garrett Cooper. So Ramuto and Cooper are my picks, uh, individual, individual wise. Uh, and I think the Phillies take two of three against the Miami Marlins, but Hey, we can all hope for a sweep. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we'll hope just like, uh, you know, with the Phillies against the Nationals, obviously the Marlins are a way better team than the Nationals. So we'll, you know, look at it from that regard. And, you know, the Phillies have had history versus the Marlins and complications against the Smelly Fish. So we're we're going to hope for the best. Um, obviously, the Phillies are playing like a playoff team right now. So it would be reasonably uh, expected to say two out of three. And that's what I would go with also. And uh, so individual player predictions, I went with Noah Syndergaard because uh, I think that's going to be a pivotal game in the series. Um, you know, the, the last time out, the Phils won against Sandy. So it'll be interesting to see how Syndergaard bounces back in his second game um, or his second appearance as a Philly. And I think, you know, getting to know the players a little bit better, getting to build a rapport with JT and stuff like that should help Syndergaard to be able to settle in and hopefully throw a good game. I mean, this uh, this Miami Marlins offense isn't exactly built to score, score a ton of runs. Um, but one of the guys who should hopefully come around for the Marlins is Joey Wendell, um, who they acquired this offseason. And, well, he has to turn it around. Um, he has an opportunity with good numbers against Philly's pitching. Uh, I mean, Joey Wendell has not been good lately. I mean, you can even go back to his last 15 games where he's batting 231, but in his last seven, is only batting <clears throat> 103, 133, 138. So has just not been getting the job done for them. But, you know, a hitter that's been that abysmal can't stay that way forever. Um, Joey Wendell's been known to hit Phillies pitching in the past. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, those are my individual uh, player predictions. Uh, Dave, something else that I wanted to touch on uh, before <clears throat> we get into the last thing on the podcast is uh, I wanted to talk about the trade deadline acquisitions and how they've been producing uh, so far for the Phillies. Now, yes, it has just been, you know, a four game set that the Phillies have really had these guys for. Um, but let's, let's touch on it a little bit. Um, you know, we saw David Robertson in, uh, in, in his first appearance, 
uh, to close the game out against the Braves. And so far, I believe he has two scoreless appearances. Uh, like we said, one coming at, with um, the save versus the Braves and then uh, being able to <clears throat> pitch against the Nationals as well in another appearance and uh, throwing a scoreless outing. Um, what, what do you think about David Robertson so far? And, um, you know, if you want touch on Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Marsh, uh, I, I have a little something to say about them too. So if you want, we'll go, you know, a little player by player and then, uh, you know, we'll get to the last thing of the pod. Okay. Uh, yeah. So David Robertson, I mean, the Phillies obviously, you know, liked what he's done this season with the Cubs. Uh, you know, he's been injured the past couple of years. Obviously, when the Phillies signed him in 2019, I believe he only pitched in six innings. He had a two-year contract, didn't play the rest of 2019 or 2020. And, you know, he said that he wants to prove to the fans of Philadelphia um, and the Phillies that, you know, he can still pitch and uh, pitch in big situations. And he's done good so far. As you said, Dave, two scoreless appearances, one against the Braves, one against the Nationals. Um, and I think that he just solidifies the back end of that bullpen. And, you know, if you don't, if you would rather use Sir Anthony Dominguez in a high leverage situation, you know, in the eighth, you could use David Robertson in the ninth to close another high leverage situation. And I just think that having Sir Anthony Dominguez and David Robertson and kind of having those two guys be the closer by committee is much better than having, you know, a Brad Hand, uh, you know, Connor Brogdon, Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know, closer by committee role. And that's nothing against Brogdon or Hand. I think that they've done great jobs this year, especially Connor Brogdon, who's come back since having a little bit of arm fatigue in the beginning of the year. And Brad Hand, who has really had a nice resurgence and struggling for a lot of last season with both the Nationals and the Blue Jays. Um, but I just think that it solidifies your bullpen more. David Robertson is much more locked down, uh, at least this year he has, which has been nice to see. And Sir Anthony Dominguez, we know the stuff that he has. So, uh, you know, I'm not the mystic. David Robertson is not the pitcher that he once was. You know, he doesn't throw mid-90s uh, really anymore, but, you know, he'll hit 91, 92, uh, and it's good enough with his cutter. Uh, to get big league hitters out. Uh, he knows how to pitch. He's been in the league for a long time. He's had a lot of success. The only years that he really has been a little shaky was one in the last year of his contract with the Yankees. And then when he was hurt, uh, that was pretty much it in terms of the bad years for David Robertson. And even those years weren't even all that bad. Um, so David Robertson definitely knows how to pitch. Uh, and I think he's going to be a pretty big pickup for the Phillies as they try to head towards red October. Right. Just <clears throat> just a consistently uh, good pitcher. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that the Phillies acquired him again is because, you know, they trust in him to, to stay healthy this time around. He's shown that he's healthy with the numbers that he's put up. And David Robertson's known for consistency. He is a man of consistency. Uh, his stuff is really good. And so it's not hard to uh, reason with yourself over why the Phillies would indeed bring him back. Uh, but moving on, uh, talking about Noah Syndergaard, Dave and I have talked a lot about him as of recently, so I don't want to cover too much on him. Um, but the shaky start versus the Nats, allowing 11 hits and four and runs. Obviously, we want to see a little bit more out of Noah Syndergaard, Dave, and um, I'm guessing that's pretty much where you are on him as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you could say that pretty much. I, you know, I think that Noah Syndergaard is still a big league pitcher, obviously. Um, you know, he's not going to be the same pitcher he was. He's not going to throw 99. He's not going to overpower you. Um, but he has good movement on his pitches for the most part still, especially his curveball. Um, and I think he just, you know, this year was really his first season back. And, you know, he has to kind of get into that routine again. And for some guys, it does take some time. You know, he had a decent start with the Angels. Uh, in the first half of the season, you know, we'll see what 
kind of holds. Peripherals are not very good if you look on Baseball Savant. Um, and by peripherals, I know that some people may be like, Dave, what, what are you talking about? Um, it just pretty much, you know, is the spin rate on his pitches, fastball, curveball, you know, how many hard hit baseballs, you know, he gives up. I believe hard hit, I forget the exact mile per hour that it comes off the bat, but it's somewhere in the 90s. You know, anything higher than that is considered hard hit. Uh, and, you know, his chase rate, strikeout rate, walk rate, that's what peripherals basically are. Um, for a pitcher and then for a hitter, obviously would be, you know, obviously different, but, you know, with hitting stats, uh, with offensive stats. Um, but, you know, Syndergaard, I, I think he's going to be better for this team. He's not a number three starter for me, uh, on this team. I know that some people think he is. He's not for me personally. Uh, but I definitely think that he shores up the rotation. Uh, and I think he's going to do a decent job with the Phillies. Is he going to be as good as Carlos Rodon or Tyler Madley or Jose Quintana could have been? I don't think so. Uh, but I definitely think that he's a good arm in the back of the rotation. Uh, and it solidifies it so you don't have to worry about, you know, every fifth day having Billy Falter and then piggybacking him with Nick Nelson. And, you know, that just causes a lot of complications. So I think that uh, Noah Syndergaard, obviously they have to work out with his routine. I know that he, as you said, Dave, was kind of on extended rest with the Angels. Uh, we'll see how that affects him. Obviously, the Phillies have to keep him healthy, so we'll see how he feels. But I'm sure that Phillies management has that kind of under control. I don't think that Dave Dombrowski would have traded for him if they felt like Noah Syndergaard couldn't pitch every five days. Uh, so definitely something to keep an eye on. But I think the Noah Syndergaard, you know, to kind of sum it all up, is going to do a decent job with the Phillies for the rest of the season. And I think it will turn out to be a beneficial pickup. Right. And I think <clears throat> that the Phillies front office going out to get him uh, had one thing in mind. And that was that they did not want a Bailey Falter, Christopher Sanchez, Nick Nelson type of outing uh, every fifth day. And I really, I do think that that was the priority of the Phillies front office. So to say that Noah Syndergaard uh, fills that void is, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a factual statement. Uh, but being able to get something more out of Syndergaard, you know, like, um, you know, some pretty good outings versus some clubs where you have to take advantage of them. I think, um, you know, that that's expected. But being able to pitch against uh, better ball teams um, like Syndergaard's done in the past where he has playoff history with uh, with the Mets, I think it's going to be super important. Obviously, Dave and I talk about him not being the same pitcher as he was. I mean, he used to be a pitcher that threw high 90 sinkers and uh, stuff like that. But uh, overall, <clears throat> I think Syndergaard will do his job. I think we know what to expect from Syndergaard. Uh, at this point, um, especially from what we've seen from him this year and uh, the point of his career and where he is, his injury history, stuff like that. So uh, just expect Syndergaard to be that guy to go out there as a number four, number five guy and uh, expect to try and keep the Phillies in the game. And, um, you know, we got him because we want to remain competitive and because we think he's a better option than guys like Nick Nelson or Christopher Sanchez or Bailey Falter. So, Keep that in mind. I think you have to be somewhat optimistic with Syndergaard. He's got uh, ways to go with trying to um, build up a rapport with JT, and they could be doing that as we speak, which I'm, I'm sure that they're working hard on it. So um, not too much to worry about at this point, and uh, Noah Syndergaard uh, looks to be you know, a respectable pickup by the Phillies. But uh, moving One more thing about Syndergaard oh, really sure. quick that the Phillies have to work on, and I know that Rob Thompson spoke a little bit about it the other day after Thursday's game at the press conference, is he's having a huge problem this year with runners stealing on him. Uh, even Michael Franco had a stolen base the other day, and that's a problem. 
Um, so, and that's something that JT could have done. Noah Syndergaard is very slow to the plate. Um, and apparently he's kind of always been slow to the plate. I don't really remember that too much with the Mets, but especially since coming back from the injury, I mean, obviously you can be a little bit slow to the plate if you can get the ball home at 99 miles per hour, like he could earlier on in his career. Uh, but you know, now that he's throwing kind of 93, um, you know, it's, it's not the same, obviously. So the Phillies also have to work on that with Syndergaard. And I know that Probably they're going to try to get him to speed up his mechanics a little bit. Uh, how that, how will that affect him? I'm not so sure, but you obviously can't have, you know, guys taking stolen bases on you every single inning because that's a huge problem. Right. And I mean, the fact that, um, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into this, but when the Nationals can score four runs and have 11 hits on you, I mean, if you go and speed up his mechanics a little bit, I don't know how much uh, more damage that would really do. Um, but you know, the, the Phillies, uh, have been known to, uh, do stuff with some arms and be able to get the most out of guys like what they have done with Sir Anthony Dominguez, uh, post injury and how he's been great for them and how, you know, Brad Hand and Connor Brogdon and, um, Jose Alvarado and guys like that have, uh, been really good. So hopefully they could do something with Noah Syndergaard and well, uh, that pretty much concludes, uh, no, I wanted to talk about Brandon Marsh because he's another guy that the Phillies really want to tinker with and work on a little bit. And, um, <clears throat> as far as I know, the Phillies feel like they don't need to make, uh, many adjustments with Mark, uh, with Marsh. They're very minute, um, nuanced adjustments that they have to make in order to get the most out of them or so they feel, um, they're really confident with the acquisition of Brandon Marsh and he's, uh, right now, he's, you know, 300 batting average with the Phillies. Uh, he has a walk, a strikeout, an RBI, and two runs scored in four games. So it seems like he's offensively been a contribution. Expect him to play really good defense. Uh, he's a gold glove defender um, in that outfield, elite defensive um, type of talent out there. And he will continue to be very athletic, very speedy. And uh, he profiles to be a really good center fielder for the Phillies. They're they're going to have him for a while. So I think uh, the Phillies will have enough time to really <clears throat> tinker with Brandon Marsh a little bit and try and get the most out of him, Dave. But um, what's your take on Brandon Marsh? Uh, I think he's going to be, you know, a really solid player for the Phillies and, uh, you know, looks looks pretty good this year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, you know, Kevin Long, you know, wants to work with, Brandon Marsh, we'll see, you know, what happens there. But the Phillies, I think the most important thing in trading for him was you have a center fielder for the future, obviously locked up for a long time. He was a top prospect at one point for the Angels, so they're hoping that there's something there. Not exactly that the Angels' farm system is the best in the world, because it's far from it. Uh, but, you know, the Phillies are hoping to tap into some of that potential. What does that mean for Matt Veerling? Uh, I don't know. They're pretty much committed to Brandon Marsh being the everyday center fielder. Veerling could see some time in the infield, maybe once... Harper comes back, maybe when, you know, they could use Cassianos in the DH or Schwarber in the DH and Veerling would play the other outfield position, or maybe he's just a bench bat. Uh, but I think that Brandon Marsh, just they'll work with him. The, the big problem for Marsh, it's not really the home runs. It's not anything like that. It's the strikeouts. And, you know, I, to me, that is repairable. I think that you can fix strikeouts just because usually that's either you're not picking up the spin or there's something that you're doing wrong that's too late. And I think that's what Kevin Long talked about, or maybe I think that might have also been on the broadcast one day, was that, you know, Kevin Long was trying to get, he was too late on the fastball, Brandon Marsh. Um, and that, of course, is going to lead to strikeouts. 
So, you know, if you speed up something in your mechanics, I mean, that makes a world of difference. And that's really been the main problem with Marsh has been the strikeouts. And if it's not a pitch recognition problem, and if it's just a mechanics problem, I mean, if you just get that foot down a little earlier, that can completely change the thing for some guys. So, uh, I think that Marsh will be a good pickup. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously, there is some work to do, but there's potential there. And I think that's uh, the main reason why Dave Dombrowski decided to trade a guy like Logan O'Hop, uh, Logan O'Hop B, I should say, uh, to the Angels, you know, top prospect. But I think that the Phillies uh, will not be too mad about the trade in a few years. Right. And I, I would agree with that statement. Obviously, <clears throat> I'm not too hoppy right now about it, but <laughs> but um, no, it, it, Brandon Marsh is going to be good for the Phillies. Um, like I said, he's, he's only had one strikeout <clears throat> in four games played with the Phillies. So in that regard, I think, um, you know, th- they could be working on changes as, as we speak. Um, if we see this rate continue, then, you know, I think that's obviously a plus for the Phillies. You want a guy like Brandon Marsh to be able to um, minimize strikeouts because you want him to get on base. You want him to be able to use his speed, use his athleticism. I mean, he's 24 years old. You want him to be able to get on base and bring him home, which uh, he's known for. He's known for scoring runs. So if they're if they're able to unlock that within Brandon Marsh and get that really good uh, center field talent uh, producing at an optimal level, I think the Phillies unlocked something really good, and I think it was definitely worth trading uh, Logan Ohapi for. So, uh, you know, that's that's my opinion on that. But Dave, uh, any more that you want to add to that before we move on to the last segment? No, I think that pretty much covered everything I had to say about the trade deadline. All right, then. Uh, let's move on to the last thing. And um, so before I get into uh, this whole thing that I wrote, I, ju- I just want to let everyone know right now um, that Dave and I, are um, at a time in our lives where we're obviously going to get very busy. Uh, we're coming to the end of summer. School's going to be starting very soon for us. And, um, you know, we have different responsibilities, whether it's, um, you know, family responsibilities and personal stuff that uh, we have to handle as well. Um, so uh, Dave and I will not be active on the Morning Track Talk podcast for a little bit there. And, um, you know, that's that's pretty much the brunt of what I want to say. But uh, I have a Twitter post going out later after we post this episode that will, um, you know, go into detail about that. But, um, you know, I figured I would read it on here on the podcast so that you guys know uh, all of the details, you know, since you all as the listeners deserve to know, especially because you guys support the podcast. So um, here's here's the announcement as it was written. So it says, due to the current schedules of both Dave and I, as well as our obligations to both family and school, the Warning Track Talk podcast will unfortunately be inactive until further notice. This is a step that had to be taken to ensure that the podcast did not impede us from tending to our personal and academic responsibilities. Season 3, episode 24 of the podcast will be our final episode before we become inactive. We understand how much you all enjoy our podcast content, and it saddens us deeply that we cannot provide you with Philly's podcast content at this very time. We hope to come back at a later date to provide all of you with the same great podcast content as per usual. We wish you all the best in your journeys as Phillies fans, and we are anticipating the long-awaited end of the playoff drought of your Philadelphia Phillies, um, just as we are. 
This team is something special, and so are you. Thank you all for supporting this podcast journey. We couldn't have done it without you. Hashtag go Phils. And so uh, I hope that that covered a lot of, um, you know, the reasoning behind why Dave and I are uh, choosing to do this for the time being. Obviously, it, um, you know, it's it's something that we say, which, you know, obviously breaks our hearts a little bit that we um, have to do this. But there will be a time where, you know, we're hopefully going to come back and uh, be able to do the same stuff, uh, put out the same content and everything. We know that all of you listeners really enjoyed it. And so we want you to keep enjoying it and we want you to keep watching these Phillies because there's something special with them this year. And Dave and I feel that there's a different air about the situation that the Phillies are in. Um, so, you know, continue to be Phillies fans, you know, even even if the podcast isn't going um, at the moment, I think, um, you know, the Phillies are going to do great things this year. I think Dave would agree. Um, and Dave, I guess that brings me to ask you, is there uh, anything that you want to add to any of this? Uh, any details that I missed or anything like that that you want to go over? Well, uh, you know, I thought that I was obviously beautifully written and, it, you know, it summed oh, up pretty you, much most of, most of what I have had to say. <laughs> Um, but you know, just from a a serious matter, I mean, this is something that Dave and I wish that we didn't have to do. Um, you know, and obviously we want to go to school, we get that, but we wish that we, that this could be something that would, you know, keep up for a longer period of time. Uh, and you know, when we started it back up, what was it, June, I believe, uh, we finally got on a consistent schedule, but we both kind of knew that at some point in time, you know, school was going to happen again uh, and summer went by really fast this year uh, and it was definitely disappointing I can't believe it's August 9th I feel like just yesterday it was June 1st uh, and I'm here we you. are now August 9th so it's it's been crazy um, but that's how life moves a lot of the time unfortunately um, but definitely um, you know hey who knows you know the Phillies make the playoffs the Phillies go far who knows there may be an episode if we get some time, uh, definitely. So um, we'll, we'll definitely keep you guys updated and, you know, let you know, of course, on our Twitter at WTT underscore podcast. Uh, but one thing, as you said, Dave, that I'll just talk a little bit about. Uh, on May 31st, Tuesday, May 31st, the Phillies played, as my phone goes off, the Phillies played the Giants at Citizens Bank Park. The Giants were 27 and 21. The Phillies heading in, or sorry, the Giants heading into this game were 26 and 21. The Phillies heading into this game were 21 and 28. Seven games under 500. Phillies battled in this game after trailing 3 to 1 against San Francisco. They battled to tie it up in the 10th inning, 5 to to five late or not five to five what am i saying four to four in the top of the 11th inning against andrew bellotti jock peterson hit a three run why am i messing up here sorry hit a a two run home run to give the giants a lead six to four the giants also tacked on an additional run in the 11th inning to make it a seven to four san francisco lead the phillies had officially lost another game their lineup consisted of Schwarber, Segura, Harper, Castellanos, Hoskins, Ramuto, Bohm, Moniak, and Camargo. Moniak and Camargo obviously are not with the team anymore. Bryce Harper has been injured for the last couple months, and Gene Segura, a few days later, would suffer an injury that would sit him down for another couple months. The Phillies at this point were looking at doom, as they were now 21 and 29. They had to make a decision as they were quickly falling out of the wild card and division race. On June 1st, the Phillies once again battled back against the Giants, but instead of losing this time, they won this game by a final score of 6-5. to 
The Phillies headed into the off day on Thursday, June 2nd, hoping to create a new when the Los Angeles Angels, who were pretty hot at the time, came to Citizens Bank Park. Before Friday night's game on June 3rd, the Phillies officially announced that they would fire manager Joe Girardi. Since then, the Phillies have went on a 36-19 run as Rob Thompson becoming the interim manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Since then, the Phillies have gained a lot of ground, not only in the division race, even though it probably could have been more if the Mets and the Braves, you know, lost a few more games. Uh, but the Phillies went from being eight games out of the wild card to now holding the second spot, one game over the San Diego Padres, who, by the way, just picked up Juan Soto. The Phillies have made tremendous strides, and this team does feel like they are going to make the playoffs. According to fan graphs, they have a 70% chance of getting to Red October. Now, who knows what can happen, as you said, Dave. September is crazy for this team, but definitely looks optimistic uh, for the Phillies heading forward. And I am still going to watch every single game. Uh, of course, as I always do, I, I never turn it off. Even when they're losing by 10, I never turn it off. <laughs> um, I just can't. Uh, but we're going to still watch every single game, of course. And we'll be, uh, of course, you know, watching this run and see how it plays out. And hopefully... We will have a celebration podcast if they make the playoffs. And who knows if the World Series, who knows what will happen on this podcast. So I know it's obviously a long way to go and a lot of things have to go right for this team. But uh, they're definitely on the way up. And it's great to see that after the past couple seasons of being mediocre, they've seemed to figure things out as of right now. Obviously, we don't want to jinx anything. Who knows what can happen. Uh, But as of right now, on August 9th, they're in a playoff spot. And uh, looking pretty good. So that's where I'll pretty much end it. I, I want to thank everybody, obviously, um, for the support. Uh, it's a shame. Like I said, summer went by super fast, too fast. Don't even want to talk about it. Um, but definitely, uh, it was great. And Dave and I wish that we could keep it up, obviously, for longer. Uh, but who knows? There may be a return in the future once again. But thank you to everybody, of course. I know that our inconsistent schedule from, what, two years ago during the pandemic, we finally got on a schedule this time and it worked out really well. And we finally started to gain some uh, popularity back. So it does sting, you know, a little bit of hurts that we had to end it. But uh, who knows in the future, like I said, we could bring it back or maybe uh, well, we'll see what happens and I'll keep everybody updated. So check us out on Twitter at WTT underscore podcast. As always, we'll update you over there if we're coming back for a podcast or anything like that. And if there's any Phillies news, I'll still try to be somewhat active over there on the Twitter. Um, so yeah, uh, go Phillies as always. And hopefully the next time we're talking to you, uh, we are talking about red October. So, all right, Dave, that's where I'll leave it. Go Phillies. But you know what, Dave? That's um that's that's the part of it too that I didn't really touch on either <clears throat> was was the fact that you know red o- red October for us is something that we've been dreaming of for you know the ever since 2017 2018 we've been you know seeing the way that you know guys like Reese Hoskins have you know come through the system and have been you know amazing for the Phillies the you know, acquisition of, you know, Bryce Harper and JT Rumuto. We, I won't really touch on Andrew McCutcheon because he's not, he's a brewer, but, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's times like that that make us anticipate a playoff run. And we've been robbed of that, uh, for the last few years. And, you know, it, it just feels like this year is different. Um, and so with that being said, with the Phillies having a good shot to make the playoffs, and I feel that they really do have a good shot, 
a legitimate shot. In fact, my probability of them making the playoffs, I think, should sit around 85-90% in my opinion. That's how strongly I feel about this team, even despite their historical September collapses. Um, Dave and I uh, do plan on doing uh, postseason podcasts. Um, I I think I'll be too riled up and too excited about it to not do it. Um, I I I will be running on sheer will at that point to do a podcast because I know times will get busy and um, stuff like that. So uh, it'll be interesting. Expect podcast content at around that time. Obviously, you know, if anything changes or if we need to update any of you guys, then we will let you know on the Twitter at uh, WTT underscore podcast, um, you know, whether you want to call it the Twitter sphere or not. Now, um, <laughs> clarification. I <clears throat> I didn't make up the Twitter sphere term, but I, I heard it from somewhere and I can't remember where. So if anybody knows the person that talks about the Twitter sphere, then, um, you know, let me know so I can give them formal credit because I don't remember. And I fe- it, it makes me feel like a criminal taking that term and using it. So um, if anybody knows, let me know uh, whether it's on Twitter or if you know me personally, then, you know, reach out. Let me know. But um, anyway, we are available on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Breaker, Spotify, so many different platforms. If you want to go and listen to past episodes, Dave and I have done postseason predictions for the Phillies and stuff like that. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, there's certain content within those episodes that um, will, you know, basically never age. You know, this is stuff that we love talking about. Um, I'm sure that you guys know that from the passion and uh, the conversations that we have in these episodes and how much effort and time he put into this. So um, we're glad we were able to build the fan base that we did. And it's it's really been a pleasure doing this for you guys. So um, with that being said, Dave, um, do you have anything else to say before we conclude things? No, that's, that's pretty much where I'll leave it. Uh, I think that you did a great job of, of summing that up. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, in the future. But yes, thank you to everybody who's listened uh, for the past. I don't even know how many episodes we're at, but I know we're in 24 of the season episodes. Dave, I don't know. Do you know the total? Um, it, Like overall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're sitting at around 110. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of episodes, a lot of hard work, but it's been a lot of fun. So thank you, everybody. Right, and um, just looking back at it, our first ever episode was back when <clears throat> Ranger Suarez joined the rotation for the Phillies. Uh, March 7th of 2020 was that first podcast. 41 minutes and 13 seconds, season one, episode one. How about that, Dave? So there, there's, there's been a history with this podcast. So, um, it, you know, it'll be a real shame if uh, we weren't able to come back, but um, you know, the, the postseason is obviously a time that Dave and I are dying for, especially um, with red pinstripes right now. So uh, expect us to be able to try and make time and come back and um, make some podcast content for you guys because it's something that we deeply care about. We care about the supporters. We care about the content that we put out. Uh, we try and put out high uh, quality podcast content. We love the Phillies. And, you know, I'm a podcast listener myself. Um, I like listening to Philly's podcast and stuff, so I know what it's like to be a listener of a podcast, especially one that uh, you kind of grow with and um, become passionate about and uh, trust 
as, you know, a Phillies outlet for news. So, um, you know, that's just something I wanted to put out there real quick. Um, I, I thank you all for your support. We love you to the moon and back for everything that you've done for us and just for you guys being the fans that you are. So thank you so much. This has been the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host, Dave and Dave.